All right, uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. This is the same verse we started out with last week. This is really part two of last week, but it's part six of the overall series, which was entitled Coming to Christ. And the emphasis on all the parts of the series is coming to Christ by faith. That is the only way you can approach Christ is by faith. And of course, we know the scripture tells us that this faith is God-given faith by the Spirit. It's not something we pull out of ourselves because we're by nature unable to do that. We don't have that ability. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, and because I have a bunch of different uh, electronic versions here, it's hard telling what I've copied and pasted what versions, so just bear with me. Chapter 1, verse 9. Most of these are from the modern King James Version, I think. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now, I didn't say this last week, but we know that God raises the physically dead, but we know in salvation there is a spiritual resurrection because those who are born in this world are born spiritually dead, and we are in need of the new birth. So he raises people from the dead, gives them life, in Christ to be able to believe his gospel. Verse 10, and this is what we focused on last week in our introduction. What we want to see here is the Trinitarian salvation. This is salvation by Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it is past, present, and future. Who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death, and does deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. So this is the way God works salvation. It has started from before the foundation of the world. We know in Romans 8 that five uh, golden chain links of, of grace starts from before the foundation of the world, comes into time, and goes outside of time, all the way from foreknowledge to glorification. So we had enough notes from last week. to I thought it was important to finish this up. So we want to see one more message. It's not like this is the last time we'll ever talk about this because we're always talking about this, but at least in this series, organized, that we are to continue to come to Christ even after salvation on a daily basis for peace, assurance, cleansing, communion, strength, joy, and anything else that he has richly provided for his people. As it's mentioned in Ephesians 1, those spiritual blessings that are in Christ that are given to us. There are two false ways of people that are claiming they're saved fall into legalism and antinomianism, or against the law. The legalist will say, okay, you're saved by faith, but now everything's in your hands, and you have to prove out your salvation by how you do with the law. And you have to, they just, in other words, they just bring you right back under the law again, under the law that the Holy Spirit showed you and says, you can't keep the law, therefore go to Christ. And then you go to Christ, and then they say, well, go back to the law again. That's a false gospel. And then there's the others that I used to be involved with, where I walked down an aisle, and I said a prayer, and I got my fire insurance, and then it doesn't matter what you do, because you're, first of all, you don't know the gospel in that type of a message, but second of all, there's no discipleship, and it involves all these promises and spiritual blessings that will take place in the believer's life. 
uh, it says that the just shall live by faith. And when you come down out and get your security and go home and forget it forever, that's not living by faith. So these are the ideas that flooded my mind and I thought, well, we've got to talk about coming to Christ on a daily basis. Which uh, Dad was talking about church attendance earlier. I mean, uh, it's pretty rough. I mean, we only meet once a week, you know, an hour and a half. That's tough. And if we claim to believe what we teach here, it's like you're going to the golden corral and you're bellying up and you're eating, feasting on what you claim to believe and you love. Once you get here and just sit there and soak it up, it's pretty much effortless. All you got to do is, you know, be able to stay awake and soak it in. And usually anybody that comes, they leave and say, man, I'm glad I wasn't going to come, but I, I showed up and I'm really glad. I've heard that I don't know how many times. So I had mentioned that the just shall live by faith. The ones that are justified shall live by faith. That's what the scripture says. That's the most often quoted Old Testament quote in the New Testament. When something's repeated more than once, it's pretty important. And this one is repeated more than any other. So it must be very, very important. So we must live by faith after we're converted. And since God's people live by faith, this means their, their faith continues to be in its proper object, and that is Christ. We don't become saved and then think, okay, now I'm saved, Christ saved me. Now I'm going to turn my faith inside, I'm going to watch myself perform. And I'm going to be in a certain mood based on how I perform. And if I sin a few times, I'm going to be in a bad mood, and I'm not going to get anything done, and I'm looking inside. If you look inside, you're just you're going to shrivel up and die because there's nothing inside. Paul says, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. We're to look to Christ even after the initial salvation experience. God's people are said to walk in the Spirit. What does the Bible say that the Spirit's task is continually to do? Testify of Christ. The Spirit testifies of Christ. So if we have the Spirit in us, we read the Word of God, what do we see? We should be seeing Christ. That really was just a repeat of last week's message for the introduction, but I want to start talking about this idea of repentance. I want to refer to a group in this message a few times. This group would be, they're called Lordship Salvationists. Uh, they would include people that actually are Five pointers, they believe in the doctrines of grace, but they turn people back into the law for some type of uh, acceptance before God, whether it be great or small, whether it be, even if it's sanctification versus justification, they still bring the law back in. And I want to talk to you about, in that context, about repentance, what some of these people think and say about repentance. Now, we know repentance, the word means that it's a change of mind. To repent means to change your mind. Now, when I was in false religion, I had an idea of repentance. It just meant that I wasn't going to sin anymore. That was my idea of repentance. That was what was conveyed to me. I mean, when you repent, you just don't sin anymore. So what is my change from when I was converted, from when the times in false religion, about repentance? Well, first of all, something I learned through the gospel that was 
way different about repentance than I never heard in a false gospel was repenting from false religion and self-righteousness from what's called dead works. And these are works done out of self-righteousness, out of a wrong motive, out of to gain reward or stay out of hell. Fear of punishment, so on and so forth. Those are dead works. And I didn't know anything about repenting from dead works because I didn't have dead works identified to me by the preachers that we listened to. And besides that, the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel, the righteousness of Christ, was not preached out. So I didn't know to stop my works and trust in Christ's works. That's the primary thing that repentance means. Secondly, and not to exclude this, this is included. Repentance has to do with changing our mind about immorality, which we all have plenty of. But what's different now? In false religion, the conscience was there. And the conscience told me, added the word of God to it that said, thou shalt, thou shalt not, plus my conscience. My conscience kept saying, guilty, 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 guilty. And the remedy was, do something, do something, do something. To reconcile yourself to God. Because we felt by nature that enmity between us and God and that wrath abiding on us. And if we thought that we could just do something, and we use the Lord's name in vain by using Christ and abusing him by using him as a stepping stone to step on him and to do something to add our work to Christ's work and say, now, how do you like me now? You know, I'm doing a good job, right? But that's the way it is in false religion. But now, since God has converted his people, repentance from immorality is for a different reason. It's for a different motive. Scripture says that we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't commit adultery and these things that are quite obvious and often repeated in the New Testament. But And the scripture says we're not under uh, law, we're under grace. But when we commit sins and we confess or agree that they are sins and they're our fault, we know that these sins are not going to take us to hell because our sins are covered. But when we repent or change our mind about doing these sins or whatever, we have a different attitude than we did in false religion. First of all, we want to not sin and to do good works because we are thankful for what Christ did. That's a totally different motive than, oh, I better do this so I don't go to hell. I better give money. I remember the tithing thing. I better give money so somewhere down the line I don't get sick or lose my job and uh, God will take that tithe money back because he owns it in the first place. You know, So I'm afraid, so I better tithe. You know, I heard that all the time. Um, so we don't do good works to get to heaven or stop from doing bad works to stay out of hell. Our motive is a motive that is tied to thankfulness. And he humbles us by showing us who we are, showing us that we can't merit anything. So we put our trust and faith in Christ. And by faith, living by faith, by the power of the Spirit, we seek to obey. And we, whenever we sin, we confess and repent. And we know that that's not perfect. Salvation is not based on how good we confess 
or how good we repent or how often we confess or how often we repent. In other words, these things are not conditional. All the conditions of salvation are on Christ. I started thinking about just the practical things when I started talking to some of these um, silly people on Facebook that claim to believe the doctrines of grace when they talked about sin. And I started thinking, and you don't have to answer these audibly, but you know, you've probably had this conversation with people when you say, how many times a day do you sin? How many times a day, you know, on average do you sin? And a lot of times I'll talk with people about that, not to have them give me an answer, but just to think about it. And I thought, well, let's let's make it real easy. Let's do the numbers real easy. How many commandments are there? If you're talking about the Decalogue, there's ten commandments. Okay. If you sin once a day, how many of those ten are you breaking? One of the ten. And let's just make it easy. Say you've sinned a different commandment of the ten once a day. So every ten days, you've broken one commandment. That's just ten days. Most people readily admit they sin once a day. Now, everybody knows we sin more than that. But if you sin once a day, that's 10 commandments in 10 days. That's three of the same commandments every month. It's getting kind of scary now. You've, you've broken a certain law three times in a month. You're already starting to get on the edge of what they're saying you can't do. Because they say evidence of your salvation is how well you do with the law. We're just dealing with a month here. If you sin once a day, you're talking about 365 sins. And a lot of people are going to live more than a year, so times that times 10. So there are, re another, what I'm getting at is there are repetitive sins. And these Lordship Salvation people say you won't commit repetitive sins. Do the math, man. We just did it. You know what sin they committed? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It's silly. They say, well, all right. We're not under the Ten Commandments. We're under the New, new Covenant Law. It's summed up within two which is love the Lord your God with all thy heart and love my, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, um, so what, that, it just got easier? Did that make it easier? <laughs> yeah. Are those two easier than the ten? When you look at the New Testament and, and Christ explains the spiritual aspect of the law and he goes beneath the surface and talks about how that sin comes from the heart, it comes from the will and the attitude, this is harder yet. You know what? The math becomes harder too. Two sins, two commandments. It means if you split up, one day you're sinning against God, one day you're sinning against man. You're sinning 15 times a month against God, 15 times sin against man. I thought sin was not habitual. What are these people saying? They're liars. They want to bring you under the guilt and condemnation of the law, make you look to yourself and we, uh, Al, you just read about them. Uh, those that would justify themselves before men while despising others. And this is the this is what's out there under the guise of sovereign grace. 
They say that you don't practice sin. They say that you are tempted, but you went over more times often than you don't. Where does it say that? Scripture doesn't say that. Just because Scripture doesn't say that doesn't mean that you should do that. So it's okay if you resist 51% of the time and you fail 49% of the time. If that flips over the other way, you're going to hell. Are we going to put conditions on men and do the math that way? It's ridiculous. Now, I think what it is is they don't hear what the law says. They've never heard what the law says. That's what Paul said to the Galatians. Do you hear what the law is saying? You don't understand the strictness of the law. You don't understand the strictness of God. We've already looked at part two, the strictness of God. Absolute perfection. Do you hear what the law is saying? I mean, you would think you'd have better ears after you claimed you're saved. They're not being honest about the law. Having said that, we know that because God is holy and he's perfect and he saves us, you know, he still demands absolute perfection from us. He doesn't say, well, you're saved now. It's okay to go ahead and sin. He doesn't say that. He still says, do this, do that. There's all kind of practical applications here that we are to do. So he doesn't lower his standard once he brings his sheep into his fold. So where should our minds continue to go? To Christ, who kept the law. Spirit of God directs us to Christ. As we said earlier, what do you think the office of the Holy Spirit does or is for? It's to draw us to Christ. <clears throat> why would the Holy Spirit, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, why would the Holy Spirit be our schoolmaster and tutor? Or He is not our tutor and schoolmaster. He uses the law as our tutor and schoolmaster, shows us that we can't keep it, and then with the law on one hand, with his other hand, he points to Christ. And it says once we come to Christ, we are in no need of the tutor or schoolmaster anymore. But then these guys are saying the Spirit takes that law and says, here it is. I know I told you you can't keep it. And I know I told you to come to Christ because he's the law keeper. And... Um, Christ is the end of law for righteousness, but I'm going to throw this back over your head again, and you better you better do this. That's a perversion of what the New Testament says. The Holy Spirit continues to direct us to Christ. That's what living by faith is. Don't rob Christ or the Spirit of their glory in this area. Christ, it says it on the wall, that all things he might have preeminence. Christ has preeminence in everything. Creation, providence, he's uh, preeminent in salvation, preeminent in the church. He's, he's preeminent in all things, even sanctification. Wait a minute, Scott. I thought, I thought the, it's the Spirit that sanctifies. How does the Spirit sanctify? Points us to Christ, our Savior. The Spirit testifies of Christ. Spirit, Spirit doesn't just testify of Christ at initial salvation and says, okay, I'm going to change the subject. We're going to go down a different road now. We're going to go down the law road 
and let's forget about Christ. Now the Spirit testifies of Christ. Faith in Christ has its proper object. The Spirit ensures that. And Christ himself is our sanctification. We studied that last week. That he has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So the proper object of sanctification, faith involved in sanctification, is not the law. It's Christ, and the Spirit ensures that. So faith is involved in our sanctification. How do we get faith? This is so simple. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If we read the Word of God, the Spirit directs us to the Word of God. The Word of God tells us what to do. And the Word of God tells me that if we are under the law, we're under a curse. But yet it still tells us to do things. So there is a definite change in our repentance before when we're in false religion and after. Totally different. So is our final salvation based on how good we do in our daily walk? I mean, a lot of these Lordship salvation people imply this. That our salvation, our final salvation, is determined by our perseverance in our daily walk. If They're just not hearing what the law says. If they're using the law, along with that idea, they're not hearing what the law says. They have a repentance that needs to be repented of, as the scripture says. Let's turn to uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, that's presently, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This means we're lying. Now notice this here, verse 9. If we confess our sins, the word confess means, remember it's two words, two Greek words, homologo, means to say the same word about something. Or agree. When we confess our sins, we're agreeing to God that this is a sin, it's transgression against your law. We admit that it is our fault. We committed it by our own will, and we shouldn't do it. You're admitting that you are willfully breaking God's commands. That's pretty much what confession is. It says if we confess, and which which really is the opposite of self-righteousness, by the way, and it's, it shows humility. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that last part there, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does he withhold forgiveness? And does he withhold cleansing? And does he wait and say... I'm not going to do this until you confess. He sits back and he waits. Aha, I see that you've confessed. I will now forgive you and I will now cleanse you. So in other words, the question is, forgiving and cleansing, what is that based on? 
Is that based on him waiting to see if conditionally we confess our sins? Or is it based on the preeminent one in salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the only one whereby sins are forgiven because of his blood and where cleansing takes place by his blood and covers over our unrighteousness? And that's pretty simple. I don't think I even have to cheat and tell you the answer. We're forgiven and cleansed based on his righteousness, not on a condition of us confessing. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we, we know that confession and repentance are two different things. I just defined them both here in the last five or ten minutes. Confession is agreeing or admitting, agreeing with God about sin, what it is and how that I did it and how that it's not right. And um, repentance is a change of mind about it. Remember when we studied confessing Christ. If thou shalt confess Christ with the mouth. It doesn't mean confess our sins to Christ like uh, Charles Finney has invented in his invitation system, altar call sinners prayer package. Confessing Christ is agreeing with the Father that this Christ is whom you sent. He's all what he's cracked up to be. He's the God-man. Salvation's conditioned on him. He covered sin with his death on the cross. And on and on and on. That's confessing Christ. That's agreeing concerning the covenant of grace. So we've looked at several things here about sanctification, about salvation. By the way, sanctification is part of salvation. It's the work of the Spirit in us. The Spirit gives us faith even in sanctification. Not just justification, but sanctification too. Faith comes by the word. The word is used. Uh, we see that language in the scripture over and over again about using the word as a cleansing means. If you're still in 1 John, look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 John 2, 1, it says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Tells people not to sin. I'm sure people still accused him of being against the law, even though he said that. All God's teachers and preachers and people witnessing the truth of the gospel are always accused of being against the law and promoting that you can just go ahead and sin all you want. But here he starts out the sentence with, uh, I'm writing this so you don't sin. But he, John, knew. And of course, under the inspiration of the Spirit, the Spirit knows this truth of uh, man's nature, man's sin nature. He says, and if any man sin, we, that's people that are justified, those that are believers. So it means believers can sin. They do sin. And if they do, there is hope. It's not hopeless. Uh, we don't lose our salvation like so many denominations, majority of denominations believe. Or this Lordship salvation says that, you know, if you sin too many times, 
you're probably not saved. It doesn't say that. It says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So here's a question I want to pose. Talk with someone recently that has changed their position on sanctification and has gone way out in left field the other way. And there's a particular problem that this person has. Trying to fix this problem. And the question I want to pose to people like this, if you have a particular sin that you have a problem with, Let's just say, for example, it's stealing. And let's say this stealing is broken down into a further spiritual sense in not working while you're on the clock. Or cheating somehow, skimming something off the top, just minutely, where most people would say, who cares? If a person has a problem doing that, or if it's a problem with adultery, which refers to not just physical adultery, but lust. Or if a problem is involved with lying. Any, any, of, the, any of the commandments, you name them. If a person has a particular problem with that, should he get an audio CD that goes to Exodus 20 and audibly reads the law, and I can put that on my computer and I can loop it. I can make it go over and over and over again and put on one CD. Where they could maybe read Exodus 20, maybe 200 times. And I put that CD in my car and say, okay, I'm going to stop this sin. I'm going to listen to this law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. The more I listen to this, the less I'm going to sin, right? Does a person, when they sin, need more law? Or do they need more grace? It's a no-brainer. Look at Colossians chapter 1. The Lordship Salvation people like to talk about perseverance. But perseverance in what? Colossians chapter 1, the so-called five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace, the pea and tulip, some use uh, the heading perseverance for the pea at the end of tulip. I, I use preservation. But if you put me in a corner to use perseverance, I can qualify what I mean by perseverance and still be on the money. And I'll tell you what that is in a minute here. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And through him, speaking of Christ, having made peace, he's the one that did it, through the blood of his cross, it pleased the Father to reconcile all things to himself through him, whether the things on earth or the things in heaven. And you, he's speaking to those that are believers in the church of Colossae, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, Yet now has he reconciled. How did he do that? Verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, without blemish, 
and without charge in his sight. Now, verse 22 is probably the most important verse in that cluster of verses. It reveals how a person is cleansed and forgiven and made righteous and made holy. It's by the body of Christ, his body through his death on the cross. It gives it away right there. That's how we are saved. By his person and work, his crucifixion, his life and death on the cross. Here's the big if word, verse 23. And the Armenians like to run to this and the Lordship salvation. Sovereign grace, Calvinist reform people like to run to this verse and emphasize the if. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and settled and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And the verse goes on, but that's where I want to stop just to hit on this. So this Christ died this death and covered your sin if you do something. Is that what it's saying? No, what it's saying is it's evidence that he died for you if you continue in what? What do you persevere in? Do you persevere in keeping the law? No. What is the faith? That phrase, the faith, is used a lot in, in the New Testament. It talks about defending the faith in Jude. To contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. That, that word, the faith, has to do with that record, that gospel, that message of Christ, his person, his work, that body of doctrine that preaches out the personal work of Christ. That's the faith. Grounded and settled in that faith, and it just to be clear, it's redundant here, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. What is the hope of the gospel? That you'll obey the law enough to where you just hope someday God will accept you after you're saved? It's nonsense. Perseverance, true biblical perseverance, is persevering in the faith and in the hope of the gospel. In other words, trusting in Christ. Now, trusting in Christ or having faith in Christ or leaning on Christ, counting on Christ, taking all your eggs out of your basket that you were trusting in yourself of doing all these things and putting all your eggs in just one basket is the hardest thing in the world by nature to do. As a matter of fact, by nature you can't do it. God has to cause it to happen because it's, it's what is so contrary to our automatic self-righteous tendency because we have faith in ourself. We've got to put our hands to the plow and plow our own garden of salvation. So we must persevere in the hope of the gospel, which is Christ. Christ is the only hope of the gospel. There's no hope at all in us. Zero. As we preached out the three things, who God is, what he demands, who man is, how he can't meet those demands, and who Christ is, and how he met all those demands, and he's the remedy for sin. We had mentioned in those messages that when we talk about the Father, his holiness, we can't stop halfway. We've got to talk about he's absolutely holy. Yes, he really does absolutely demand perfection. Absolute perfection. One sin, you're done. And we talk about man, how that man cannot keep one law, not one. So there's already a dilemma. There's a problem. You've got a holy God and a sinful people. They're, they're nowhere near. False religion brings down God, brings man up and say, all right, there's enough static in there. Just use your free will and you can snap it together and get that thing going. 
you can spark it, you cause a fire, and um, Jesus right there, go ahead and use him. He's done all he can do. The rest is up to you. You know, use him as a stepping stone. That's false religion. That's what they imply. I mean, they don't say that. They're not that blatant about it, but we see it. So we take God all the way in his holiness. We take man all the way in his sinfulness. And most importantly, we take what the scripture says about the perfection and the effectual accomplishment of Christ's work in person. We can't compromise on who Christ is. And when we do that, the gospel itself is offensive because they're, they can't deal with a God that holy. They can't deal with themselves being that sinful. And they don't have use for a Christ that did everything. They've got use for one that lets them do part of it. It's very, very easy to see after coming out of it. God gives us the advantage of hindsight. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Two more texts. We'll, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians just for a second and then go to Jude and then we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him, speaking of the Father, you, he's talking about the saved people, the believers at the church of Corinth, you are in Christ. Of God the Father, you're in Christ. So in other words, you're not in charge of being in Christ. The Father puts you in. How do you do that? Well, first of all, he chose the people for the foundation of the world in Christ. It's all over the scripture. Then the agent of the Spirit converted us. Christ died for us. The agent of the Spirit converted us. And we're in union with him by faith. And this Christ, it says... Who of God, going back to the Father again, is made unto us. God the Father put you in Christ and made Christ unto you these things. And these are the things I demand from you, people. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ has made those things to his people. Why? Verse 31. So that. In other words, this is why. According as it is written in the Old Testament, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In other words, there's no boasting in salvation. Salvation is of the Lord from start to finish. So the, here's a question. So is, is the righteousness which we are accepted by God, is it, is it a combination of Christ's righteousness imputed to our account? And then some righteousness God imparts to us. We combine those two for the acceptable righteousness. Look at Jude for our final final text. Uh, the answer is no to that question. We don't combine our righteousness with Christ's righteousness because we don't have any. Our righteousness, uh, as it says in Isaiah, is as filthy rags, referring to menstrual rags. Paul said his righteousness was... Uh, dung. It's a bunch of crap. God doesn't want it. So we don't add our righteousness to his. His is sufficient. It is enough. It is what God demands. It's the only thing that God will accept. Jude chapter 1, since there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 24. The way he closes out this uh, 
this book here of Jude. And he says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God and our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion forever, both power and now and forever. Amen. So he's talking about the one who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory. Does this mean he's going to work on us, we're going to progressively get to the point where we're just going to be so good at what we do in our sanctification, in our works, that he just says, yep, you, you finally, you've reached that point. Come on in. You've reached that point. You're, you, you're up there where you're supposed to be. Well, you know, Paul, in his writings, I don't see him saying that even about himself. He talked about how that he was the chief of sinners. And how that in his flesh dwells no good thing. And that was that's kind of when he was mature. Wasn't anything. Wasn't what he said the first day. So when we reach the throne of God for judgment, Christ will be the judge. Is, is Christ as judge? Is he sitting there saying, okay, now I want to look and see how sanctified you were. I want to see whether your sanctification progressed enough to where I can let you in. Or is Christ going to say, I'm going to judge you by the gospel. It says in Romans that we're going to be judged by the gospel. The same gospel we believe in points to the same Christ who is judge. He's going to say, you got my righteousness. You're in. I don't find any fault in you. All I see is righteousness. I don't just see a clean slate. I see a full slate, and it's full of righteousness. And we're saved by the righteousness of another. There are texts that talk about how that we will be judged according to our works. Do you think that that means that God says, well, I've saved you up to salvation, and all those are excused. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. I'm going to keep tabs on you now. And... This is what you're going to be judged by. Are we going to make it in based on what we do after salvation or maybe not make it in? It's sure thing that, uh, and it's good news that God's judgment does not bar our entrance to heaven based on how well we perform. Uh, let's say, take these for example. How well... We love God and love the brethren. That's the two commandments that hang on the tomb. What if he judged you right now based on how well you love God and love the brethren? What about church attendance? What about giving our time and giving our money, our efforts, our energy? What about one of the hardest ones that's still in place? Our love toward our enemy. What if God judged us based on that commandment? How good do you think any of us would do? If he covered our sins, it says they're not going to be remembered. And the only thing he remembers is the righteousness of his son that he imputes to his people. This is why salvation is of the Lord. And this is the idea where Christ says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He says, I save 
to the uttermost. That's hyper language. It's over the top language. It's like the language in toward the end of Romans 5 where it talks about where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. All right, let's sing a song. Let's all stand and turn to page 423, page 423.